as we come to your holy presence to listen again to what the risen Christ has to say to us. Father, we give you thanks that this is the most important Sunday of the church's year because, Father, you have your Son has risen. Without the risen Christ, everything that we do here will be in vain. So, Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can speak confidently about your love. We confidently live knowing that you are with us, knowing that you know us, and that we're known by you. So, Father, as we come to study your word here in John chapter 19, verse 41 to chapter 20, verse 10, as we look at this passage of scripture, Lord God, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Siegfried Sassoon was an English poet writing in the time of World War I. He was very much disgusted at the indifference to churches uh, across um, Europe was uh, treating the cruelty and the violence of the war with indifference. So in the year 1917, he wrote a poem that's simply entitled They, T-H-E-Y. It's a poem that's very simple because it comprises only of two paragraphs. The first paragraph centers around an unnamed bishop who was delivering a sermon. And the sermon this anonymous bishop was pontificating about the glories of war. To the bishop, the British soldiers were not just fighting any old war, but they were fighting against the Antichrist. The, en the enemy was not just the, the Germans, but was Satan himself. And they had challenged death and dared him face to face. The bishop's sermon was to present a glossy and exalted view of the war. But unfortunately, few shared his view as the second paragraph will show us. The second paragraph centers around the people listening to the bishop's sermons, and they were the soldiers. None of the soldiers got the bishop's message. While the bishop was unnamed as if he was just this uh, abstract uh, individual high up there, the soldiers were only concerned about themselves. George, one of the soldiers, had just lost his leg. Bill had just gone blind because of the war. Poor Jim's lung had been torn and you have been and was suffocating to death. How can the bishop in the soldier's mind say that the war was holy? How can he speak so confidently about the glories of the war when the soldiers were all blind, maimed, and one even struggling to breathe? The bishop was high up there while the soldiers were below down here and they couldn't see how the message of the bishop interacted with them. As we enter Easter 2020, pastors and preachers feel very much like the bishop. How can we talk glowingly about the resurrected Christ when 1.3 people, billion people in this world have been tested positive for the coronavirus? How can we speak about our exalted Savior when at least 72,000 people across this globe had already died from this virus? How can we sing gloriously the hymn, Christ the Lord has risen today, when about 
560,000 Australians have lost their jobs within the last three weeks. How can we speak about the glory of Easter when the judges, the bills, and the gyms of our land are suffering? We are very thankful that the Bible does speak to this issue. The Gospel of uh, John is one of the most practical Gospels that we have. Because it not only presents to us the great promises of God, but it also shows us how the promises of God crashed and interact and explode into our daily lives. Today we just want to look at John chapter 19 verses uh, 41 into chapter 20 verse 10. The Gospel of John is, one, is the only Gospel of the four to associate the death of Jesus with a garden. The word garden appears twice in John chapter 19 verse 41. We read, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Twice in this verse we are told that the place where Jesus was uh, crucified and where he was buried was a garden. And John was the only person to tell us that on the day of the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene came to see Jesus, she mistook Jesus as a gardener. This is in John chapter 20 verse 15. As the keeper of the garden. So the, the, the association with the garden is not coincidental because John keeps hammering that fact into our heads. Why? This is because the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel had prophesied way many, many years ago that God will one day bring us back to the garden. Just as how he, Adam and Eve were created and placed in the garden, God one day will create a new garden where we will be brought back into his presence again. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 35 speaks about this. Just as there were four rivers that flow out of Eden uh, in Genesis chapter 2 verses 10 to 14, there will be a river that will flow out of the new Eden, says Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47 says that this, this river will be so powerful that it will flourish the land that it passes and the both banks of the river, there will be fruit trees blossoming and flourishing on both sides. And John's gospel, John sets out, sets Jesus up to prove Ezekiel's prophecies coming true. Jesus himself promised that whoever believes in me, this is in John chapter 7, verse 38, as the scriptures had said, rivers of living water will flow out from them. What is Jesus saying? Whoever believes in me, you'll become the new Eden, and the river of water will flow out of you. And later on, Jesus even promised in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone remains in you, in me, Jesus says, you will bear fruit. Just like the river uh, of uh, the Ezekiel talks about that comes of the new Eden will cause fruit trees to grow on both sides. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you trust in me, your lives will also bear much fruit. So all of this points to the fact 
that Jesus is brings us back to the new garden. And all of these promises come true here at the resurrection. Jesus has brought us back into this renewed garden of Eden. Uh, where we will, where we will, have, we we will be with Him. Where rivers of living water will flow out of us if we believe in Him. Where we will bear much fruit for Him. It's all nice and dainty, but what does it mean for the average folk? What does it mean? What does this message of God's reconciliation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that He has brought us back to Himself, that by trusting in Him we will uh, we will have this renewed fellowship? What does this all mean to us today? If that's what you are thinking, what does this mean? The disciples felt the same way too. In the Gospel of John. There are two great friends by the name of Peter and the beloved disciple. The beloved disciples, many scholars identify him as John. They were both great friends. They often appeared together in John's gospel. They often appear together so many times. If you count them, they appear at least in five different episodes in the gospel. They were great friends. And on the morning of the resurrection, Peter and John again were together. When they received news that the body of Jesus was missing, they ran to the tomb to see. John chapter 20 verses 3 to 10 recounts how Peter and John made a mad rush to the tomb, to the garden of the tomb of Jesus, to see if the body of Jesus was missing. We are told that when they came to this garden tomb, they, they made a run to the tomb. John arrived there first. Maybe because he was more athletic, don't know. He arrived at the entrance of the tomb and Peter arrived a little bit later, but Peter went in. Peter saw the strips of linen cloth there that were used to be wrapped around the body of Christ and around his face. But what was Peter's response? Look with me here at verse 6 of John chapter 20. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was just lying in its place separate from the linen. Peter just stood there and he saw. That was it. But not the beloved disciple John. We read in verse 8, Finally, the other disciple that reached the tomb first also went inside. But there was a difference. Peter just saw what was there, but the Bible says here in verse 8 that John saw and believed. John saw and believed. What does believing that Jesus is alive got to do with us? Got to do with our world today? John goes on to tell us. The difference that the risen Christ will make in our lives will only show when times of disappointment come. Because the Bible doesn't just end there. We don't really get to appreciate the message of Easter until we come into the dark days of our life. We don't actually enjoy the sun until the sky is darkened. Because after the dust of Jesus' crucifixion had settled, Peter and John entered into a very dark time, together with the other disciples. Suddenly, they had nothing to do. 
Suddenly, they had nowhere to travel. Suddenly, they had no job. Just like many of us here affected by the coronavirus, we are jobless. Suddenly, there was nothing for us to do. We cannot even leave our homes. Suddenly, we're in financial straits, just like they were. Jesus used to provide for them. Suddenly, Jesus is gone. They entered into a dark, disappointing times. It is in these dark, disappointing times the message of the resurrection shines like a beacon of light. Why do I say that? Because it's in such times when the disciples felt discouraged, as if all hope was gone. What did they do? They decided to go back fishing, because that was only the only thing they knew. Many of them were fishermen. So they fished all night while in the middle of the most disappointing time. The Bible tells us that early in the morning, the disciples found Jesus at the shore, but they couldn't recognize him. Even after Jesus gave them some fishing tips, Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some, because they have caught no fish while they were fishing through the night. But no one realized it was Jesus. No one except the beloved disciple, John. Because we read in John chapter 21, verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. The reason why no disciple could recognize that it was Jesus, because in their hearts, they assumed that Jesus had already died. Dead men can't come up to you and give instructions about fishing. Dead men can't do anything. Dead men are as good as nothing. They're only good for lying down. There's nothing much they can do. So that's why when the, Jesus gave them instructions about how to fish, they didn't recognize it was Jesus because they thought Jesus had already died. But earlier, John tells us that John was different. John saw the empty tomb and he believed. And because he believed, he saw who Jesus really was. Because he believed, he recognized that it was Jesus. Because he believed, he saw Jesus. If the God you believed in is dead, he or she will not show up when times are bad. Because dead people can do nothing. But if the God you believe in is truly alive, he will show up when times are bad. And that's what John is trying to tell us here. That even when times are so disappointing, John was the only one that could still recognize Jesus because he knew in his heart, because he saw with his own eyes that Jesus has risen and he is there. Dr. Gardner Taylor was a pastor in New York City. There was once when he told a story when he was just a young preacher preaching in Louisiana. It was during the Great Depression. Electricity was coming in and out of the country and he was coming to this very rural black church to preach. And there was only a single light bulb that lighted the whole century. And he was preaching his way right through the sermon. In the middle of the sermon, suddenly the electricity went out. So Dr. Taylor panicked. As a young preacher, he didn't know what to do because it was completely dark. He couldn't find his notes. He didn't know where the audience was. So he was just stumbling. 
and as he was stumbling, not knowing what to do, not uh, knowing the, what to say, one of the elderly deacons sitting behind the church cried out, Preach, long preacher! We can still see Jesus in the dark. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And I think that's what it is. If you truly believe that Jesus is alive, and if you truly believe He's risen from the dead, even in the most darkest times in our lives, you know you can still see Him. Why? Because if you were dead, dead people can't show up. Only living people can show up. Even when the light bulb is gone, even when there is extreme darkness, you know that Jesus is still there in the dark. Why? Because He ain't dead. The message of the resurrection really rings true and really comes alive in those dark moments. Whether your God is living or dead makes a huge difference in those times. But there is more. John chapter 21 verse 7 reads, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the sea. You see, Peter was a very impetuous action hero. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? It was Peter who took the sword and cut off the, 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 the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. Peter was an action man. When there was danger, he was the first one on his feet. It was his first one taking the knife out. He was the action hero, was a superman amongst the disciples. So naturally, when Peter heard that it was Jesus, he immediately jumped and swam towards Jesus. And as he swam towards Jesus, something interesting happened. We see one of the most tender pictures of Jesus in the scriptures. Peter finds Jesus doing what? When he runs to, Pete, to Jesus at the shore, Jesus was making breakfast. Why was Jesus making breakfast? Jesus was saying to Peter, if you really, really want to follow me, you have to give up trying to do this and that. Before you can even do anything, you need to surrender and let me feed you first. There are many of us who never see the power and the significance of the risen Christ. Why? Because we are like Peter. We want to do this. We want to do that. We are so impetuous. We want to be the action hero. We want to get the glory. We want to be the one doing stuff. And because we want to do stuff, we never give the risen Christ a chance to work in our lives. And this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. If you really want to understand how I impact your life, you have to let me feed you breakfast. Let me feed you first. You need to surrender first to me. And that's why Jesus already said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. We need to remain in Him first. And I think on that, that morning, that depressing morning when they have lost all 
hope. When Jesus prepared breakfast, Peter ate. For an impetuous young man who abandoned Jesus in three times a row, once when he fed, ate from the hands of Jesus, once when he surrendered, his life changed. Now he becomes a gentle pastor and was not just an impetuous young man, was willing to, to, to run from one thing to another, was willing to give up Jesus three times in a row. Now he became somebody totally changed by the risen Christ to such a point that he would not only remain faithful, but three times he would say he loved Christ and was stick by Christ even when suffering comes. So John chapter 20 verses 15 to 19 becomes one of the most tender moments in Scripture. Let me read them to you. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I loved you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I loved you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? From somebody who was running from one thing to the next thing, Jesus here is asking him, don't keep running, surrender. And see my spirit changed in your heart. You will love me to such a degree that your life will be different. And Peter was hurt when Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. From somebody impetuous, somebody who is always running, Peter will stay with Jesus and love Jesus, even to the point when people will have when people will drag him and make him do things he didn't want. That is, people will murder him for the sake of Christ. How does this message of Easter impact us? It will change us. If we let Jesus feed us, if we let Jesus take over, our lives will be different. From people who may be impetuous, who think we can do it all. We will learn to become dependable disciples of Jesus. That will go the extra mile. They'll go and do wild and crazy things for the love of Jesus and the gospel. The gospel changes us. And we don't see the fruits of that because we don't know what it means to abide. We don't know what it means to trust. We don't know what it means to be fed by Jesus. So in this Easter 2020, when we are plagued by the coronavirus and its effects, where many of us have lost jobs, where many of us have lost control, many of us have lost our freedom to even go out, 
praise God for those times. Because these are times that allow us not to trust ourselves, not to run from one thing to another, but to run to Jesus. Let Jesus feed you and see the power of the resurrection. Resurrect us, change us, that we become like Peter, somebody who stayed with Christ even to death. Even when Peter was being murdered later for his faith. For most of her life, Joanne Shelton was a very self-sufficient woman. She was a U.S. diplomat living in Paris, France. She was a very successful lady, never felt the need for God. She was an atheist. She didn't really care for anything that has to do with religion. Until one day, Joanne Shelton received one of the strangest emails in her life. She was invited to go to Japan to celebrate the 122nd anniversary of a church that she had never heard of. But then when she did some research, she realized that it was a church in Japan that was being planted by her great-grandfather 122 years ago. Joanne knew nothing about this church and she didn't even know much about her great-grandfather. But she went, she went to Japan to attend this anniversary service, she went to the church service, she listened to all the stories about the sacrifices of her great-grandparents, how they planted the church, and she heard the stories of how her great-grandparents had a daughter by the name of Ella. Ella used to play the organ for the church. And then she suddenly passed away at the age of 14. Joanne uh, continued to hear how her great-grandparents never blamed God for the death of their daughter, but they continued to serve God with great fervor and great zeal. The day before the service, the church members in Japan brought her to see Ella's grave. And at the gravesite, they even sang Amazing Grace in Japanese and they recited the Lord's Prayer. As a result of the trip, Joanne started to read up on more and more about Japan and more and more about the Bible and her great-grandfather. And one day she was, uh, just wanted to attend a church. So she, was, she attended the Presbyterian church nearby and she heard the gospel being preached for the first time. And uh, she remembered the words of Jesus saying to the disciples, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that you can be observed. Nor people say, here it is, there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Suddenly those words that came from the preacher that morning made sense to her. That the kingdom of God is in your midst. That Christ is not dead, but is in our midst. And because of that message, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. In a very strange way, she realized and believed what her great grandfather had always believed so many hundreds of years, so a hundred more years ago. And that was when she gave a life to Jesus. And why do I tell you this story? Because the risen Christ too changes lives. Even when we may be like Joanne Shelton, we may say, No, I don't need Christ. Jesus is the way. To use even the stories of a great-grandfather who lived 122 years ago and planted the church. Using those stories 
to change Joanne's life. Risen Christ is still alive and in our midst. He is still in the business of chasing and changing our lives. But the problem is that we are too busy. We are too occupied. We're like Peter, rushing from this to that. We want to be the superhero in everything that we do. That we don't have time to sit at the feet and allow Jesus to feed us, to change us. God is a way of changing us. Just like how she changed the life of Joanne Shelton. Let's come and treasure these moments. Because it's in moments when we feel down. It's when the gospel shines its light and its brightest. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you are still in the business of changing our lives. That the message of Easter is not just a message that's up high and glowing and glorious, but it's a message that impacts us here and now in the year 2020. Even when we are plagued by the coronavirus and its uh, effects, Father, we thank you for these moments because these moments allow us to see that the risen Christ is in our midst. That the risen Christ still wants to change our lives. Help us to see that He is in our midst. And Father, as we come to you this morning, may we again surrender, allow the risen Christ to feed us. In His name we pray.